Do you want to set your child up for success? Is tutoring out of your budget, or perhaps you're someone like me who just wants to save money on private tutoring? Is this a big school year for your child? You know, maybe they're starting kindergarten or middle school. Maybe there's another milestone coming up. Or maybe your family moved. Oh my gosh, I moved so much when I was growing up. And the kids are starting a new school. Or maybe your child is ahead and just not getting challenged enough in class. Well, IXL Learning is here to help. IXL Learning is a fun online learning program for kids covering math, language, arts, science, and social studies. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or the personality. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. That's right. It is school approved. So make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And how to be fine listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com/fine. Visit IXL.com/fine to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Again, that's IXL.com/fine. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hey, everyone. Before we get started, we wanted to let you know that for the second year in a row, we'll be performing a live show as part of the She Makes Me Laugh Comedy Festival here in New York. It's happening Sunday. October 14th at 5 p.m. at the People's Improv Theater. For tickets, go to the pit-nyc.com slash calendar, or you can click on the link in the show notes. A portion of the ticket sales will go to support Safe Horizon, the largest nonprofit victim services agency in the U.S. Again, this is happening Sunday, October 14th at the People's Improv Theater in New York. We hope to see you there. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hey, Jolenta. Hey, Kristen. It has been one week since we lived by the four-hour work week by Tim Ferriss, and you know what that means. It's time for another By the Book mini-episode. Woohoo! That's right. It's time for another By the Book epilogue. This week, we're looking at the aftermath of Living by the Four-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. Not surprisingly, we got a lot of folks writing in saying they took issue with the book. So let's start off hearing from them. Yes. First off, we have a letter from Alex. She says, I just finished the four-hour workweek episode, and I was thinking about how impossible this book is for some professions. For example, I work in a library, so the vast majority of my job is assisting patrons, shelving books, attending committee meetings, and other things that cannot be done remotely. I love my job, and I don't have any desire to have a four-hour workweek, but it doesn't seem like the author acknowledges these careers at all. If you are in a service position like me, how would you go about incorporating the principles of this book into your workweek? 
I mean, yeah, he definitely doesn't acknowledge it very much. When I worked in a service position, I would try to do things to make my life a little easier. But, like, if your job is to help people, you have to interact with them. If your job is to shelve a book, you have to do it. I used to have to shelve books. I did do things like set up an auto reply that would maybe answer a few questions to, like, my email, where it was just like, hey, I'll reply in a bit, but hope maybe these things might help. I also would put up signs when I worked at, like, a front desk being like, bathrooms are that way. The code is this. Stop asking me 25 billion times while I'm also on the phone with three patrons. You know, that kind of stuff. So you can do little things to sort of automate your job, but you can't do a lot. And, like, Tim Ferriss does not really think about that, I don't think. Yeah. And I mean, frankly, Alex, Tim Ferriss relies on people like you. Right. He needs these service industry jobs in order to live his freewheeling his life. His automated lifestyle. Yes. He automates with you. Yes. He automates with you and other people in jobs like you. And he says very clearly in the book, and we lay it out in one of the steps, just outsource to an online company. What we didn't mention in the episode is that most of these companies he outsources to are in India. One and of them is literally called your man in India. Yeah. So, you know, he doesn't really fully have a complete round world view. No, uh, he's thinking about like serve yourself. People will take your money to do the shit you don't want to do and don't shelve books if you want to be new rich apparently. The new rich. Ugh, that no feels time, so gross no coming time to out help of my anyone. mouth. I feel no so gross. My skin is crawling. <laughs> How did this book help me? <laughs> All right, that's it. We're moving on to yes, the next letter. Next letter. All right. We have this great letter from Bianca. She says, this book gives the vibe that if you haven't managed to set up your life to be able to work from anywhere, work less, travel the world, live like you are on vacation, then you have somehow failed in your career choice. That is so arrogant. It's like a king saying, well, I managed to be born a king, so all you peasants can go suck it. Society would totally collapse if everyone lived like Tim Ferriss. And honestly, the fact that he outsources his work to lower paid staff makes me sick. He is part of the 1% making life harder for the other 99. I think it's about damn time society takes a hard look at the fact that we all benefit from and stand on the shoulders of those working low status, minimum wage jobs and advocate for not only raising wages, but also for showing them more respect. They are not failing at life. They are doing what they need to to survive and keeping our society up and running in the process. Yes, Bianca. Yes. <laughs> yes to all those things. No, I totally agree. I took issue with that, too, even though I also think the book helped me. But it's like, I don't give a shit about traveling the way, like, everyone is supposed to want to. At least that's what I learned from, like, when I was on dating apps. Everyone's like, I just want to travel. And I was like, I don't. I don't care. And... Yeah, I agree with everything you say, Bianca. I wish we could look at society instead of, like, reading books about how to, like, game the system to be part of the 1%. Yeah. And, I mean, frankly, Tim Ferriss has totally different dreams than some people have. Mm -hmm. You know, not just you, Jolenta, but I think a lot of people would find his fantasy life a complete nightmare. Yeah. It's a little all over the place It is me. a little all over the place. I mean, I don't want to be an international horseback fighting Well, and also star. just like the to. search for notoriety in itself. Like it's a very sort of like early 2000s reality star mentality of like, we don't all want to be fucking Kardashians. Like sometimes it would be awesome to have their money, but like hmm. it's also like seems very surface level. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to this letter from Amanda. Right. 
Amanda says, I've been thinking a ton about the four-hour work week. What I'm having trouble with is the idea that everyone needs to be working with their passion. I have a good job that I enjoy. It pays the bills, and that's good enough. But it isn't my passion. There is no one on earth who is passionate about depreciation theory and public utility accounting. Yet, my life is pretty perfect. I spent the morning throwing rocks in the river with my three-year-old while my husband played Monopoly with our six-year-old. I might spend 40 or even 50 hours a week doing a job that is just good enough. But it means I can do the things I am passionate about, like swimming with my kids or paying for special ed services for my older son or teaching my boys to ski. The idea that everyone needs to have a job they are passionate about and only work for a minimal amount of time isn't reality and isn't healthy. Most of us can find a pretty awesome balance if we accept that things will never be perfect. Oh, Amanda, I love this letter. I love this letter so much. This reminds me of a conversation I've had with my sister off and on over the years. She's very much in the same camp as Amanda. My sister's a pharmacist, and Mm -hmm. she said, am I passionate about pharmacy? No, but it gives me a chance to live the life I want to live. I can support my family. I can pick my kids up from school every day and drop them off. And I don't need to be passionate about my job. Mm -hmm. I have all these other things in my life that I'm happy about. And and passionate about. Yeah, and I'm getting paid very well for a job that's perfectly fine. It's a fine job. It's not a passion, but it's perfectly fine. Yeah, I think that's probably ideal, right? It's not like we're going to change society tomorrow and not need money. So, like, as long as you feel like your passions are being fulfilled, I think that is good. And your passions don't have to be fulfilled at work. Yeah. All right. And I loved this letter from Ashley. She says, I've had negative feelings about the four-hour work week for years, even though I never read it. A few years ago, a co-worker's spouse became obsessed with following the path Tim Ferriss laid out in the book. Unfortunately, my co-worker appeared to bear the brunt of his efforts to automate, which included shipping the products their partner was selling from our office and becoming the primary breadwinner, a decision that was made unilaterally. My coworker became increasingly resentful of their spouse, especially when they couldn't reach them for hours or, on some occasion, days at a time. I left that job, so I don't know how that situation turned out, but I think Kristen hit it right on the head. If you're not doing this with or for the people in your life, I think it can be incredibly isolating. I think it's important with any of these books to remember that the choices you make aren't made in a vacuum. The journey of self-help impacts everyone around you as well. And foregoing healthy relationships in the interest of achieving the author's version of success can be so harmful, as Brad and Dean have so helpfully pointed out in past episodes. Ah, Brad and Dean. Ah, yes. Our poor, poor Long-suffering husbands. crime. <laughs> this is such a good letter, Ashley. I this love is it. So First of all, great. I love office gossip stories. Yes. Love those. This uh, partner of your coworker sounds like a total really douchebag. Really bad. Yeah. Yeah. If the only way you can live the Tim Ferriss life is to completely ruin your partner's life. Yeah. It's not great. No, no. And I think it just points out how myopic some of these books can get in their focus. It's all about you feeling good about yourself or like measuring success by things that like deep down we probably know are a little shallow. And that comes with a cost. The cost is people don't like how you're behaving and you, you know, weed out maybe some people with values that are 
better. <laughs> Is that a horrible thing to say? Possibly, Jolenta. But, you know, if you weed out the people who get in the way of you striving to just, like, automate your life and make as much money as possible, you're going to attract people who want the same thing, who want to just Instagram their parties on their yachts and only work a few hours a day. And you might lose out on some love and some family. Maybe. Yeah. Or you're just a jerk who's taking advantage of everybody else around you. Yeah. When you live your life only for yourself, the people around you will feel taken advantage of. Yeah. And I think Tim Ferriss does not address that in the book. And I don't, I doubt he's addressed it in his life because I'm going to make some broad generalizations about him that will piss <laughs> off his fans. <laughs> Let's take a quick break, shall yes, we? Yes, yes. On that note, that's a perfect time to take yes. a break. But when we come back, we'll talk about Jolenta's smoking and my thoughts on laziness. Stay mm. with us. Do you ever find yourself wading through your newsfeed on Facebook or Twitter, wishing you could just call someone up and ask, what do I really need to pay attention to here? Well, what if you could? I'm Mary Harris, the host of What Next, Slate's new daily news podcast. And every weekday morning, I'm going to be on call for you, taking you inside one story, going deep behind the headlines. What Next is news you're not going to get just scrolling through your phone. To listen, subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. All right, we are back. And Jolenta, let's start with a question a lot of people have for you from Lindsay. Lindsay says, Jolenta, are you still not smoking and how long has it been? I am still not smoking, Lindsay. And, you know, I'm going to give away some of our production timeline, which always pains me for some reason because I like when it's a secret. Yeah, but, we like to keep some of the magic. But uh, I believe it's been around six weeks Woo-hoo! of not smoking. Yay, Jolenta. Thanks. Yay. I made it past a month. Hooray. Yes, yes, Let yes, me yes, just yes. say day three was super hard. Also, the beginning of week three was super hard. I've been doing a lot of reading and apparently the three landmarks are very difficult. So like three weeks, three months, three days, three weeks was crazy hard. My body felt insane. Like it's hard, but also really nice when you sort of forget you were a smoker and are like, oh, whoa, it's been like four weeks or five weeks or six weeks. Like it's the best. Nice. Um, Another letter related to smoking. Emily says, Jolenta, I've been smoking cigarettes for 10 years. I'll be 30 in November. I feel so guilty every time I smoke, but I love having an excuse for five minutes of me time while I'm clocked into this soul-sucking thing they call a job. I have four cigarettes left in my pack. I'm finishing them and then quitting for good this time. Thank you for the encouragement, Jolenta. Yes, Emily, you can do it. I've noticed it's easier to quit the more guilty you feel. And I think, (laughs) I don't know if it comes with age or whatever. And a lot of times it's helped to have sort of a milestone about like, I can't be this age and still smoking or like, I want to get pregnant or, you know. When you start feeling that guilt, that is when it's a good time to start looking for a resource, I find. Because when you're like, this is fucking disgusting. Why am I doing this still? It's great. And like, it'll be hard, but also very worth it. You won't have that fun panic where it's like, I only have this many cigarettes left, so I can do this, this, and this activity, and then I have to find a store. And like, you will feel so much better eventually. Yeah. I was going to say guilt didn't work for me at all. Mm. Um, For all of my years of smoking, my sister, a lot of other people kept saying, you know, 
so-and-so died of cancer or... For me, it was the environment, that yeah, kind of guilt. the environment. My sister always did that with me, um, the environment. But frankly, the thing that got me to stop doing it was my own vanity because... Yeah, your, my you, face started getting... Rumbling. Yeah, my face was looking really rough and I didn't realize how much of an effect cigarette smoking has on aging because um, mm-hmm. not all the oxygen is getting to the capillaries in your face and all of those things. So yeah. that helped me. And then also I found that for myself, if something big happens like let's say i'm sick and i have to already stop smoking because i'm sick that's then good, once yeah. i'm better just not start or i'm going on a vacation so i'm not even going to be in my house or at my job and used to those five minute breaks of me time mm-hmm. so there's a big change while i'm on vacation i'll oh, stop smoking and in regard to the me time because that was my big excuse too i was like i love a minute to go outside that's what i would tell myself like to go outside to like poison it and me. <laughs> um you have every right to say i'm going to take a quick walk around the block like, if people excuse smoking in the workplace, they can excuse you popping out for a quick walk. I used to do it all the time the first time I quit, where I'd be like, I'm going to go take a spin around the block. I know it's hard if you're an educator or something, but find something little that feels like a quick me time break. Yeah, a little vacation. Sometimes animal videos do it for me, actually. Oh, that's a good I one. I love my little animal yeah. videos. Yeah. Okay, Kristen, let's get lazy. Yes, let's talk about laziness. Oh my gosh, I think we got more letters about laziness. So many people wrote in about any other topic. Yes. So uh, here's a letter from someone named Kristen, spelled a little differently, but she says, I am a machinist, which means the four hour work week is not an option. The culture of this trade also promotes the 50 hour work week, and working 45 hours is considered doing the bare minimum. I'm proud of the work I do. That being said, being the only woman in the shop on the overnight shift, having a total commute time of over an hour plus working 10 to 11 hour shifts means I'm exhausted mentally and emotionally after 44 hours. When my boss asks me to work on the weekends, and he does literally every week, I always say no. And I am proud of myself for this. I know it's not because I'm lazy. It's because I'm actually a better, more focused machinist when I use the benefit of a three-day weekend to recharge and fulfill my duties to my family, my friends, and myself. Kristen, please strike the word lazy from your vocabulary. Over the years, it can turn into a toxic mantra that employers are only too happy to exploit. That sounds like you have an incredibly... Intense work shift that you're doing yeah, all the time. Yeah, I know. And I'm also, very, very yeah. impressed. And Kristen, it also sounds like your boss is kind of a jerk, too. Yeah, every week. Come on, I mean, on, come dude. on. Not cool. Not cool. Um, let me clarify something here. You're not lazy, and I would never call you lazy, Kristen. I don't think anybody in the world could possibly consider you lazy except for your jerk boss. Um, just to make clear, when I say lazy, what I mean is, are you living up to your potential? And when I refer to using laziness as a cut criteria during my single dating days, I was referring to guys who would work part-time, live with their parents, and say that full-time jobs were for suckers. Or people who would collect public assistance so they could just work on making zines. Um, I find people choosing not to live up to their abilities or to their potential. I, I just find it super unattractive. Yeah. I find it very, very unattractive. There's a big difference, yeah. you know, between... You working 50 hours a week yeah. versus... Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally agree with you, Kristen. And like when you first said it, it rubbed me the wrong way a little bit, too. You know, as someone who has now realized in their 30s that they have ADHD, like I've been told I'm lazy and not living up to my potential my entire life, essentially, or at least my entire academic life. And I wasn't living up to my potential because literally my brain chemistry wasn't letting me. 
but it wasn't my own fault. Like, but I do think tossing the word around is a little harsh because you don't always know everyone's circumstances. But yeah, taking time for you so you can do your best when you are working is super not lazy. Yeah, that's not lazy at all. Not in the slightest. No, 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 no. And Kristen, uh, Britannia had a question for you. Oh, I love that name. I know. Isn't it so cool? Yeah. She says, Kristen said that she loved to work, and when she wasn't working, she didn't know what to do in her spare time. The question that I have for Kristen is whether she ever gets bored of working. Mm, that's a good one. Like, I mean, do you ever get burnt out and are like, this isn't fulfilling today. It's all busy work. I even enjoy busy work. I'm just going to say it. are you? I loved being a customer service representative where I answered phone calls because people's Christmas presents didn't show up on time. You are I so loved weird. waiting tables. <laughs> I loved, like, I, I've loved almost every job I've had, partly because I like being busy and I like helping people and I like talking to people. That is um, so funny. But no, I, I didn't love every job, just the majority. The vast mm-hmm. majority of my jobs I've loved. Some of them, you know, I haven't loved as much as others. My first real job outside of babysitting and so on was being a hardware girl at Hardware Hanks. And the store was just like I'm super slow sometimes. So I would just stand there. That's the best hours. part of working. No, I hated that. I hated just standing there and there's nobody to talk to. Don't uh, have anything to do. I remember when I worked in a box office at a theater, every time someone came up, I'd be like, oh, I hate you. <laughs> I was like the exact opposite where I'm like, I have to stop Googling a random thing I have a question about to fucking sell you a ticket, which is technically why I'm getting paid to sit here. Ugh. Oh, good. All this being said, I will say as far as me not knowing what to do with my spare time, I know what to do with my spare time if I don't feel that something else is looming over my head that could be done for work in the background Mm -hmm. or when I'm in a trapped situation. So, for example, whenever Jean and I have to fly to New Zealand, Mm. um, or I should say when we ever get to fly to New Zealand, when we get to go there, we're very lucky that we get to go there to see his family. I love for 24 hours not being able to do anything but relax. I don't have internet what access. I can't How do are anything. You so I'm fucking well adjusted. I'm You're just like, so I, I, happy. I don't I'm get stir crazy. It's great. I love it. But Nobody you do can. get stir crazy when Dean says, "If you won the lottery tomorrow, what would you do with your life?" Oh God, I still don't know the answer to that. I I would keep working. I would. Keep I know working. you would. Yeah, I know you I would, would work and work and work. I love working. I love working. Okay. Who is this person? All right. That's enough. Let's, Let's take another yes. break. Yeah. <laughs> Please. I need to get out of this enclosed space for one second. All right. And then I'm going to do some work. And when we come back from our little break, we'll hear from some folks who have good things to say about the four-hour work week. Yes, some of you exist. And we're back, and we have quite a few people who wrote in saying that they actually liked the four-hour work week. It's true. Amy says, so having read the book, here's the gist. Only spend four hours a week on the work that actually feels like work. The stuff you enjoy doesn't count. That's my big takeaway from the four-hour work week. Do more work that doesn't feel like work. Hold on. I don't think I work at all. Just oh my kidding. gosh, you're a I fucking well-adjusted monster. Kidding. I just love to work. No, it's true. Using yeah. my brain, helping others, being busy, it's fun. Yeah, it's so and I fun. like that takeaway. I think it's a good answer to everyone who's like, four-hour work week, like, fuck you, I do X, <laughs> Y, and Z. And it's like, no, I totally get it. As Like, when you are a teacher in a classroom for eight hours a day, no, you will not actually be working four hours a week. But 
you know, if you can get your lesson planning and bullshit meetings and, you know, work-related emails that happen outside of the classroom maybe down to four hours a week, that might feel good. Yeah. I don't know if it's possible, but I bet it would feel nice. Yeah, exactly. All right. Let's get to this letter from Natalie. Natalie says, I am embarrassed to admit that the four-hour workweek changed my life. I was already interested in early retirement and entrepreneurship and many of the other areas Tim touches on. But what the four-hour workweek did for me was translate ideas into action through concrete baby steps. Those baby steps almost immediately resulted in me teleworking twice a week. That was three years ago. Now, my husband and I, in our early 30s, are traveling the country full-time in an RV, and if we're being honest, work about 10 hours a week between the two of us in investing and consulting. Ultimately, living by this book has taught me to reclaim the hours of my life, both the quote on the clock and off the clock time, and to live with more intention. I did the work, but I'd be lying if I didn't admit that that privileged narcissistic tech bro Tim Ferriss was a part of my journey. Wow, Natalie. Natalie, don't be embarrassed. No, 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 no. Don't be embarrassed at all. I think that's all. super impressive. It sounds like you're living the life that you and your husband want to be yeah. living. And I think that's the main thing that yeah. we should all be doing on this show with this book with anything else. Right, but, exactly. You know. And I do think if you look at his defined steps in the book, it really is just about like taking a minute to step back, look at the life you are actually living, look at what your goals are, at least right now, about life and seeing if those things line up. If they are dramatically different, maybe make a game plan to help them line up more. You know, that isn't bad even though Tim Ferriss is annoying when he tells you about it. And his goals are, (laughs) you know, not the most awesome, in my opinion. Well, yeah, I liked that part. And I especially like the part where he has you write about what you're afraid of and like what failure looks like to you and the steps that you know you could actually take in real life to come back from those failures, to sort of minimize your fears and help you move forward towards, you know, your life lining up with more of your goals. Well, this segues well into Haley's letter. Haley says, I really like this week's episode. I decided to interpret step one, D, to mean that I should think about what activities I assumed I'd put off until retirement and to figure out how I can make time for them earlier. Thinking about this step helped me define some goals that I've been trying to articulate for a long time. Yay, Haley. Love that. Love that. exactly what I was talking about. Yes, exactly what you were talking about. And, you know, that was really the deep soul-searching step for me. Right, what, exactly. What do I want to do if I'm not working? Yeah. And we still don't know. We still, I'm still working. Right. One yeah. is just like my long-term goals weren't to fly everywhere or have a private jet. It was like, I want to learn how to enjoy my free time more. Like by doing things I think Tim would think are lazy, like watching reality TV or sitting on my ass and crocheting or like taking crocheting a slow walk. Crocheting is not lazy. But you know what I mean. But oh you know, it's gosh. not like jet setting or winning like a mixed martial arts tournament. It's, While being a film star yeah, in and like, Hong Kong whatever, or whatever you know, he was doing. It's yeah. just, and like my other goal was like, quit smoking. Like, you know, these aren't fame seeking, money grubbing goals. Yeah. Haley, you do you. Everybody else out there, do what you want to do. Also do you. Yeah. Tim Ferriss, it seems like you're really rocking doing you, so (laughs) good on you. He's doing Tim Ferriss. Really hardcore. None of the rest of us have to do Tim Ferriss. We just have to do ourselves. (laughs) 
All right. Well, thank you to everyone who wrote in this week. We received so many letters, so many Facebook posts, Twitter posts. We received Instagram messages. We received so much correspondence from all of you. And we just love hearing from you. All of you guys are just fascinating, intelligent, beautiful, sexy people. And hearing from you, just it's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you to everyone. And now, you guys, we have some good news. And some bad news. And we're going to start with bad news because it's always better to start with oh, bad always. news. Always. Get the bad news out of the way. Always. And end on a high note, right? Yes, exactly. Here's the bad news. This is the end of season three. Today, this is the it's day. It's over. It's over. This might come as a surprise, but it also may not if you uh, count because we do eight books a season and this was our eighth book. So we are at the end of season three. But Kristen, give them the good news. The good news is we have been greenlit for a season four of Buy the Book. Yay, season four. So that's going to be coming to y'all in late November. And in the meantime, we are going to be releasing bonus episodes every other week just for you. Every other week, a bonus episode recapping what books we loved most or hated the most this last season, talking with the husbands, talking with Cameron. And we want to hear all of your questions for us, for the guys. We want to hear, especially like the kinds of uh, TMI questions. Yeah, those juicy questions where like you wouldn't ask your friends about it, but like you'll ask those people who broadcast their lives about it because they will probably answer. (laughs) Yes, we want to hear all of those. Yeah, we need all of your questions for Dean, for Brad, for us, for Cameron. So many questions for Cameron. It doesn't have to be about production. It can just be about Cameron and his life. Like, what's his hair regimen? I don't know. He has really good hair. He does. He has very, very very good hair. He has very, very nice hair. Yeah. Like, why is your skin so clear? Yeah, you do have really good skin. Do you wash your face? I don't know. He never wears makeup. I know that. Yeah. All right. Ask us anything. Send us your questions. You can send everything our way on Twitter. You can tweet us at Jalenta G, at Kristen Meinzer, and at By the Book Pod. You can also join our Facebook community to ask us questions or send us a little email at bythebook at panoply.fm. And we have a new and improved phone number. The One last that works. phone number, it was. It needed improvement. It, it did nothing. It decided to not it just stop happen working. anymore. Yep, yep. So please leave us messages on our new phone number, 419-869-BOOK. That's 419-869-BOOK. So thank you to everyone who wrote us about the four-hour work week. Thank you in advance for all of your super juicy questions for everyone. And... Thank you, as always, to our wonderful producer with the clearest skin around, Cameron Drews. And thank you to the amazing Jolenta Greenberg. Hosting the show with you is just oh, it's such it. a joy. I love you, Jolenta. I love you. I love you, Kristen. Thank you for showing me that work can be fun. Okay, you're not delivering that sentence with any believability, so let's just say goodbye. Until next time, I'm Kristen Meinzer. I'm Jolenta Greenberg. Bye-bye. Bye. But we also have some good news. Yay, good news. Our good news is that we will be back in late November with season four. Yes, we got greenlit for another season. We still have jobs. Woo-hoo! Yay! I'm never going to stop working. You that can't really, make that me. That sounded like it really never, blew it out. Does that matter? I'm sorry. Life is a highway. 
And on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.